Hey guys, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I have been spending some time with my family in Kansas and been traveling across the country speaking. So thank you for bearing with the different studio setup. I just got back from Denver and Charlotte, North Carolina. Spent some wonderful time with the folks at Freedom House Church in Charlotte, North Carolina for a special Love Life Adoption Week that they did. And so I wanna bring you a very exciting episode from my message there on Sunday morning, and then later we'll air the Freedom Night Turning Point Faith event that we did at their church on Tuesday night. However, Freedom House Church in Charlotte, North Carolina um, has really risen to the occasion in advocating for righteousness in the public square in this turning point in the fight for life and in the fight for liberty. They were one of the first turning point faith church partners with my pastor Rob McCoy and Charlie Kirk's new organization to equip and rise up the church and Freedom House Church just adopted a Love Life Week where they preach on life on Sunday, they fast and pray on Wednesday, and they do a prayer walk and invite their whole congregation to join them outside of an abortion center in Charlotte on Saturday, which will be tomorrow if you're listening to, to this on Friday, June 10th. And so we had an incredible time. It is an exciting and inspiring to see so many churches and pastors start caring so much less about what the culture thinks about them and so much more about uh, what God thinks about them and what he has called the church to do on really such a basic issue. Life itself, babies, Christ becomes human in a womb, declaring the sanctity of life in the womb. And the science is clear. This is a human being from the moment of conception. And the church is starting to wake up. So buckle up. I hope this inspires and fires you up. And I'd ask you to share this with your friends, family, um, and perhaps your pastor as well. Here is my message from Freedom House Church, Charlotte, North Carolina. Good morning, how are you guys doing? Wow, amazing. You see that brutal haircut? Yeah, my wife was like, why did you take those headshots? I don't know. Um, anyways, wonderful to be with you guys. Quick background on myself. I'm a, uh, I've been a pro-life activist since I was a fetus, actually. Um, my, my mother was uh, the executive, I, I, I'm actually not joking. My mother was the executive director of a pregnancy care clinic, a pregnancy resource center, while pregnant with me. And she remained the director of that center in Los Angeles County in Azusa, California, right across the street from APU. By the way, never send your children to Azusa Pacific University. Okay, they're more uh, creating advocates for the enemy than disciples for Jesus Christ. We have a real problem in higher academia, if as you don't know, but also Christian higher academia. And so the Freedom Academy you guys are doing, it's time to take back education. It's time to invest in children and raise up the next generation of culture shapers and changers because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is political because he's the king and he's coming back. So we're to occupy until he comes to honor him with what he has given us. But I was raised in the pro-life movement. I did the Walk for Life every year, supporting the local pregnancy resource center. I went door to door as a little eight-year-old with my sister to ask people to sponsor me to walk, to raise funds for the pregnancy resource center. My senior year of high school, I did my senior project on the issue of abortion, and I saw abortion imagery for the first time. I saw the mutilated body parts of aborted children with photography that was used for educational projects to prick the collective conscience of the culture and force them to look at what they were tolerating or apathetic towards. That was the turning point in my life, uh, no pun intended, after choosing to follow Jesus. And then I went to Westmont College, a 
Christian College in Santa Barbara, where I started the first pro-life club that had ever existed there, and I publicly challenged the institution for their refusal to take a pro-life position and for hiring pro-abortion professors at a Christian university who signed a statement of faith, but I guess believed in the Christological heresy that Jesus was at one point God but not human, because if you're pro-abortion, then you would have I guess support Mary's fundamental right to abort your savior. So that's my background. I've been doing this full time since I was 24. I've been speaking publicly on the issue of abortion since I was 19. I'm now 30. And uh, so anyways, raise your hand if you weren't aborted. Anyone in the room not aborted? Um, Okay, awesome. So we got a whole room of former fetuses. Um, and zealous zygotes, you see these terms are terms that refer to the same human being at different stages in their physical development. Never allow the left to inject uh, bigotry into the word fetus. Zygote, embryo fetus, these are just terms that describe the same human being at different stages of their physical development. Then it goes infant, toddler, teenager, adult, grandma and grandpa. The same human being at all stages of development and intrinsically valuable at all points in that stage of development. In the last 11 months, I have spoken at more churches than I have in all 11 years of my speaking career. Why is that? Because I think the lion of the tribe of Judah is on the move. I think Aslan has landed and he's stirring the hearts and the conscience of the church to wake up in the most politically propitious, significant moment in my lifetime with Roe v. Wade likely to get overturned this month. And yes, it gets sent back to the states and then our job really just begins, but millions of baby wolves will begin to be saved. Up to maybe half of the states in the country could outlaw abortion and then we work towards the full end of justice for the preborn, which is a federal ban on abortion, a personhood amendment in our constitution that protects the right to life that should have been protected from the first place of all human beings. So that's my background. I'm grateful to Pastor Troy, Aaron, Stephanie, the whole team. You made me feel so incredibly welcomed. And let's give a round of applause to pastors like this who stand against the culture of death and say, you're not taking another step. You're not fortifying any more ground. We're not holding the line. We're reclaiming the line and pushing it back to where it should have been by waking up and contending for life and liberty in the public square. But there will be no liberty. There will be no pursuit of happiness. There will be no property rights. There will be no right to defend yourself as long as we continue to abandon the right to life of an entire class of human beings. Brothers and sisters, you may know this, but tomorrow is the 78th anniversary of D-Day. And when some teenagers stormed the beaches of Normandy at Omaha to defeat the greatest threat to Western civilization we had ever seen. Isn't it sad how quickly we forget the lessons of history? You know the saying, those who forget their history are doomed to repeat it. 400,000 Americans bled and died to defeat a Nazi megalomaniac who declared an entire class of human beings non-persons, slaughtered six million Jews, a total of 13 million total, who he declared to be undesirables. Or Untermensch. Untermensch was the title of Heinrich Himmler's famous Nazi propaganda book. It's a term that means subhuman. Subhuman. They're not really like us. And yet today, Americans cheer for and defend the right to kill a new class of human beings who have also been declared non-persons by the courts. And we have killed over 65 million babies in this country since 1973. And they're also called undesirables or unwanted. Unwanted. 
You know, it can be very costly to engage evil and stand for life and liberty. Not as costly for us as it was for the young men who stormed the beaches of Normandy. And if you know your history, you'll know that the first wave of Allied troops to hit the beach sustained a 90% casualty rate. Did you know that? Just mowed down. 18, 19, 20-year-old young men. And there were a few reasons for this, by the way. It's, it's a tragic story. There was a problem with the tides on D-Day, and so our troops weren't able to get their landing crafts as far into the beach as they had wanted to. Secondly, the enemy was far more equipped with firepower than our allied troops had been led to believe. And so when the doors of those landing crafts opened, they were met with a firepower they were completely unprepared for. And thirdly, because they couldn't get the landing crafts as far into the beach and the water was much deeper than they thought it was, when these young men stepped out of these landing crafts, they sunk 20 feet down to the bottom of the ocean where their 100-pound packs drowned them to death before they could even get a shot off. And those that did survive only did so by ditching their 100-pound packs, swimming to the surface, swimming to the shore, where they had to engage an enemy without any weapons. Brothers and sisters, I want to talk to you today about your place on that beach. Many of you feel like the men who hit the sand at Omaha Beach 78 years ago. The landing craft of that door is opening, and you find yourself on hostile enemy territory. And people are firing at you with ideas that are so contrary to everything that you believe and everything that we've taken for granted in a republic that was built on a Judeo-Christian worldview. The culture seems to be deteriorating before our very eyes. You're in a hostile territory and people are labeling you a bigot. You're being ridiculed. You're under fire. And so many of us find ourselves without the weapons to engage, huh? We live in a culture and society today, brothers and sisters, that tells you as Christian pro-lifers to stop imposing your morality on others. You heard that? That's just a pro-life Christian morality. Stop imposing your morality. While the pro-abortion movement imposes their morality on unborn human beings who they dismember and pro-lifers that they force to fund abortion through their tax dollars. We live in a society that says that being pro-life, it's just a Christian position. So you should stop shoving your Christianity down people's throats even though pro-lifers make no religious arguments for the humanity of the unborn and why abortion is wrong. We just follow the science. We live in a society that says there's a separation of church and state. You heard that one? So pro-lifers should be prevented from implementing their pro-life views into policy, while the left seeks to implement their secularly humanistic views into policy with religious fervor. <laughs> and we, you live in a state with a governor who has vetoed pro-life legislation a couple years ago that simply said, if you're trying to get an abortion because the baby has Down syndrome, you shouldn't be able to do that. He vetoed that. He also vetoed one that said, if a baby survives a botched abortion in the process and is born alive. By the way, guys, I have friends who are abortion survivors. Babies who survived the abortion attempt on their life. This legislation said if you survive that and the baby's born alive during the procedure, you can't kill the baby and you have to give them the same level of medical treatment and care as any other baby would receive under normal circumstances. Roy Cooper vetoed that as well. Do you sense the Kairos moment that the church is in right now? In a matter of weeks, the Supreme Court is expected to overturn the most wicked decision in American history right after Dred Scott versus Sanford. Ironically, which said the same thing, that some humans are not persons, 
And so the elite and political class get to decide which humans are persons with rights and which humans are not persons with rights. Same worldview. And this decision is expected to get overturned this month. Some clerk for some Supreme Court justice who's a radical leftist activist leaked the opinion of Samuel Alito. This has never happened in American history. Why? To create chaos to create riots in the street because this clerk, who we think is probably a clerk for Sotomayor, who's the most radical leftist on the court, knew what the decision was, knew that they were planning to overturn Roe v. Wade, so they leak it to create hysteria, to incite riots in the street, and now you have protests outside the homes of Supreme Court justices where their children sleep. By the way, you know that's against federal law. You're not allowed to protest outside of a building where a judge resides if the reason is to influence or change the decision. And when Jen Psaki, the recently stepped down press secretary, was asked, what's the White House's opinion on protesting outside the homes of Supreme Court justices? Uh, we don't have an opinion on where people protest. But it's against federal law. What's the point? They want it. They want riots in the street. They want violence. And isn't that a shocker that those who lynch a million unborn babies in the womb every year will be okay with violence? I just could have never have imagined that. <laughs> those who murder the unborn cannot be trusted to govern the born. And I think the church is waking up and realizing the Kairos moment that we are living in right now. And those who kill children cannot be trusted to help children. And yet the Democrat Party says they're the party of the little guy. Right, they're the party of the, the oppressed, the underclass. Oh, you mean little guys, like little humans? Oh, you mean like the smallest, littlest humans, like pre-born human beings that you kill at the tune of a million a year? We're starting to wake up and realize that the culture wars was always just a proxy war for the spiritual war. These are proxy attacks against the sovereignty and kingship of Jesus Christ. We are living in a Kairos moment, and if the church misses this moment, we may never have a new birth of freedom in this country. You know, Abraham Lincoln talked about this 22 years before he became president, and he said that if tyranny ever comes to America, it won't come from without, it will come from within. And he said, as a nation of free men, we must either live forever or die by suicide because we the people are the sovereign, so we dictate the course of the country. So if we ever descend into the despotic chapters of history, it will be by our own doing. And I'm here this morning to tell you that a nation that murders its own children will inevitably die by suicide. This is a turning point for the country and the church because abortion only happened with the permission of the church. When we abdicated our spiritual duty, to seek to influence secular governments for God's purposes. I don't mean Kronos what time it is. I mean this is a Kairos moment because not all moments in history are created equal. Some carry more weight. Acts tells us that God ordained the boundaries of our existence and where we should live. Do you know what that means? It's not an accident that you live in 2022 and attend this church and live in Charlotte. There's a reason and a purpose for it and God wants to use you for his kingdom in this moment. If God dictated it, that means there was a reason. If there was a reason, that means that you have duties and responsibilities to fulfill to your king who knit you together in your womb. If you want to know how God feels about pro-life, uh, he entered human history as a fetus. Jesus Christ is the greatest former fetus to have ever existed. The prenatal deity, let me say that again, the prenatal deity who entered human history in a uterus to redeem mankind from their sins. So when people say, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about abortion. Really? Well, do you think Jesus wanted Mary to kill him? 
Because I think he was fully God and fully human from the moment of conception. So in this Kairos moment, we need to do three things. We need to know what we believe, what we're facing, and what we must do. Pretty simple. What do we believe? Let's start with that. Because many Christians believe that abortion is wrong, and we are pro-life, but many of us lack the intellectual tools we need to be a voice for the unborn. You know, Proverbs 31.8 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. But what we often forget is that we are also those who cannot speak up for ourselves. Apart from Christ's sacrifice on the cross on our behalf, we are left without an advocate. Who of us can stand before God on the day of judgment and say, Jesus, uh, check it out, perfect record, baby. Open up the gates of glory. First John says that we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. What's an advocate? Someone who speaks up for someone else. So how could we not speak up for unborn children when Christ spoke up for us when we were utterly incapable of doing so? Brothers and sisters, hear me. Pro-life engagement and pro-life faithfulness is simply the correct response of the heart to the gospel. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves because I spoke up for you when you were damned and on your way to hell and could have done nothing to save yourself. This is simply Christianity 101. This is not complex, brothers and sisters. So what do we believe? That all truth is God's truth. Anywhere you find God's truth, that's God's truth. So even if the Bible doesn't say abortion is wrong, don't kill babies, we still know that it's wrong. Christians don't actually make a biblical case for the humanity of the unborn. I could do that for you. Knit together in your mother's womb, the prenatal John the Baptist doing backflips in the womb when Mary walks into the room pregnant with God, who is at that point knitting John the Baptist together in the womb because Jesus was God in the womb and God knits life together in the womb, and he was knitting himself together in the womb as the prenatal deity, incarnation, mind blown, Christianity. But I don't need to turn to the scriptures to make a case for the humanity of the unborn. The science has been clear. So believe it or not, I actually agree with Dr. Fauci. I know, give me a second, all right, let me make my case. We should follow the science, follow the science. I am science. Do you hear that? He was like, I'm just representing the science because I kind of am science. Well, coming from the man who through the NIAID, right, the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases, where he serves as director, he funds the University of Pittsburgh. This was exposed by Judicial Watch last year, where they abort babies after they could have survived outside the womb. They scalp them and insert them subcutaneously on lab rats to create what they call humanized mice. And there are pictures exposed from Judicial Watch of infant baby hair growing on the backs of lab rodents because they now have human DNA in them and so you can use them to test solutions to staph infections. Does this sound like Joseph Mengele? So the baby simply becomes a sacrifice for man's pursuit of eternal life so we can live just a little bit longer. Guys, this is nothing new. Pagan societies have always sacrificed infants, children, toddlers, women, adults to the sex gods, the war gods, the weather gods, the crop gods, with the belief that they would receive a blessing in return from this pagan deity and they would get to live just a little bit longer. Some things just don't change. So next time Dr. Fauci tells you to follow the science, Just know that he refuses to follow the science of embryology. Hear me, brothers and sisters, science is a meaningless term in the lexicon of the left. Science just means that which we really want and will pretend to have data or academic studies to back it up. Science is nothing but a sticker that the left slaps over their bigotry 
to disguise their true agenda and keep the American public confused because they think you're a bunch of stupid rubes who can't weed your way through all the academic data and understand it. Follow the science. Let's do that, shall we? What do we believe? We believe in the science of embryology, which teaches from the moment of conception, you were a distinct, living, and whole human being. And guys, I didn't cherry pick those terms to make the pro-life position sound more attractive. You will find those terms in like any embryology textbook on any university campus anywhere in the country. Distinct, living, and whole. Let's fly through it. What do those terms mean, right? Because I need you to be a pro-life ninja, right? I need you to be able, flipping around, demolishing abortion bigotry wherever you find it. And I need you to know what the science actually is. You were a distinct human being from the moment of conception because the body in her body is not her body. So how do I know this? Because I am a former fetus. So I was a pre-born male. Right, gentlemen, pre-born males, by the way? Because you're told to shut up because you have male genitalia and it's a woman's issue. Well, actually, no, because as a former fetus, I'm very grateful I wasn't aborted. Um, and so if it's just her body and her choice, but women can be pregnant with unborn boys, but pregnant women don't have male genitalia, then I guess that means the body and her body is not her body. The unborn child has a different DNA, could have a different blood type, and has an entirely uh, a unique DNA and could be a different gender than the mother. So how, how is that her body, her choice? Notice they never say our bodies, my choice, because they can't acknowledge the existence of a unique individual entirely separate from their mother. So you were distinct from the moment of conception. You were living, because ready for this, dead things don't grow. It's super sciency. try to follow it. Dead things don't grow. And the unborn child meets all the requirements for a living thing that we learned in high school biology, sixth grade biology. I have three children, two outside the womb, one in the womb. Here's something that never happened. My wife never woke me up in the middle of the night pregnant saying, babe, babe, come here, come whisper to my uterus. Come remind our baby to grow. We don't want her to forget. Why is that weird? Because unborn children develop themselves from within, independent of the wishes of their parents. So they're living. And you were a whole human being from the moment of conception. This is the most important concept from the science. What does it mean to be a whole human being? Don't confuse being a whole human being with being a developed human being. Because that's exactly what the pro-choice position does. They say that you don't have a right to life until you reach certain developmental markers. So have you ever heard pro-choicers say, I'm not for abortion through point of birth, uh, but earlier stages I am, but I'm against it once the baby is self-aware or can feel pain, or can survive outside the womb, right? That's, those are developmental markers, but it was still a human being at all stages of their development. Don't confuse wholeness with development. The left views prenatal development similar to like a Corvette on an assembly line, right? A constructed thing. So if this Corvette's going on the assembly line, would you say we have a Corvette when it's just the frame? What about the frame and the wheels? No? What? Science deniers! No, of course not. You're recognizing, well, that's a constructed thing that gradually comes into existence as different parts are added. That's not how prenatal development works. We don't gradually come into existence as we reach different developmental markers. No, 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 no. We are developed entities that come into existence all at once and then gradually unfold our potential according to our human nature. So there's no such thing as a potential human being. Have you heard the left say that about abortion? It's a potential human. No, no, no. There are only actual human beings with great potential. So that's the science. It's similar to a Polaroid photo. As soon as a photo gets spit out, remember Polaroid cameras? and you shake the photo, you're like, I got a gorgeous Charlotte sunrise picture. What if after that photo gets spit out, I rip it out of your hands, I tear it up into little pieces and I throw it out the window? Would you be upset with me? It was the most gorgeous sunset you'd ever seen. Are you pissed at me? 
But what if I say, brother, sister, calm down, chill out. It wasn't a picture of a sunrise. It was just a black smudgy on a white piece of paper. You're laughing because you're, you actually do follow the science because you guys are actually smart. You would say, Seth, you Republican idiot rube, don't you understand? The sunrise was already there. We just couldn't see it yet because everything that was necessary for the photo to realize its full development was already present when the photo got spit out. It just needed time. That's the science from the moment of conception. You were a distinct living and whole human being who already had everything you needed to realize your full growth and development as one of us. Even if we couldn't see you yet, you just needed time. Hashtag follow the science. Science. That's the science of embryology. I won't get into some quotes I could give you from abortion leaders who have admitted for decades that we all know it's a human being from the moment of conception. Come back Tuesday night and we'll dive into all the arguments that a pro-choicer would use to respond to my scientific case I just made by saying, okay, they're a human, but they're not a person. And they're not a person because they can't do A, B, C, D, E, and therefore we can kill them. I'll go through it, all of it with you, and you'll be a pro-life ninja by the time you leave on Tuesday evening. So come back for that. I think you'll enjoy it. I also have a podcast called Unaborted with Seth Gruber, because we're all unaborted. Or as Reagan said, I've noticed everyone who's for abortion has already been born. So every pro-choicer is very grateful that their mother did not exercise her right to choose. Uh, so if you check out that podcast and listen to it, uh, you'll be a very effective voice for the unborn. That's what we believe. Let me show you what these babies look like, by the way. We have one photo uh, we'd love to show you here of what you looked like in your mother's womb. That's a baby at nine weeks. Now, if you're wondering, how did you get that photo? These photos are taken in the same way that NASA takes photos of space with the Hubble telescope. Have you seen some of those images of space, by the way? Is that one image? No, they take thousands of images and they stitch it together to enhance the image. So it's representatively true, it's just more detailed. These are taken through embryoscopy, not ultrasonography. So it's actually a small camera that's inserted up the birth canal. And because the amniotic sac is clear, you can see the baby. And when they're small enough, they fit into the whole lens and you can get thousands of photos and stitch it together. So when people tell you, it's just a blob of tissue in the first trimester, it's not really a person, nine weeks, brothers and sisters showing the beauty of Psalm 139, that I knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your frame was not hidden from him when you were woven together in the depths of the earth. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. A human being, and not just that, but our neighbor. That is your neighbor, brothers and sisters. And they're the only neighbor in America today that it's legal to kill. Listen, if this is part of your story, I just want to remind you that I'm not here to shame and condemn you this morning. I would remind you that if you've had an abortion, paid for an abortion, pressured an abortion, stood by your girl and did nothing and said whatever you choose, or if you have lost a sibling or a cousin to abortion, I just want to tell you that I believe if Jesus were preaching this sermon, he would say that he is just as eager to forgive the sin of abortion as any other sin. So I'm not here today to lump shame and condemnation on you. In fact, when pastors say, we don't speak on abortion, Seth, and I'm not gonna let you preach on it because I don't wanna shame and condemn the people in my congregation, their silence doesn't spare men and women hurt, it spares them healing. If this is part of your story and you've never encountered healing and forgiveness, this is your moment and this is why your pastors here are so incredible because they understand that it's the truth that sets you free. 
and you need to repent, turn to Christ, and, and he's going to take your ashes, and he's going to make a beautiful landscape out of that, a beautiful picture, because you've been there, and so you can stand in the middle of the road of the culture of death with a big sign that says, stop, because I've been there. Don't do what I did. And if you need evidence of this, by the way, just remember the story of King David, right? A man after God's own heart, right? Do you know what his other title was? Peeping Tom. Wow, man, and he's in the Hall of Faith. That's pretty incredible. Makes his men go fight his battles, gets drunk on his porch, and he's like, oh, Bathsheba, shower, nice. Sleeps with her, impregnates her, and murders her husband. Whoa, a man after God's own heart? The prophet Nathan confronts David regarding his sin. And as David briefly justifies his sin, and then he repents, he hits his knees, and God accepts his repentance as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to him. But there were still consequences to David's sin, weren't there? His baby that he conceived with Bathsheba dies. In fact, God strikes the child dead. And King David responds and says, my son will not return to me, but I will go to him. If you've ever wondered whether aborted babies go to heaven, that's your passage. So if this is part of your story, just know that I am not here to shame and condemn you. I want you to be set free. I want you to turn to the greatest former fetus to have ever existed who identified with you at your most vulnerable stage, the prenatal stage, and allows himself to be beaten, abused, aborted, killed, so that you can be healed and redeemed and set free from sin and used for his purposes on this world. So turn to Christ, repent, and know that there will be a team of pastors, myself, and the Love Life team here to pray for you if this is part of your story. Because I believe God wants to turn your ashes into beauty and use you to help where you used to hurt as the most powerful voice against the culture of death. And if you accept that gospel of grace, you're going to see your baby in heaven again one day. And they're seated on the lap of Christ waiting to welcome you into eternal glory. So hear that and receive that and know that we're talking about this because we love you and because we want you to live in the truth. That's what we believe. What are we facing? We're facing nothing less than the sacrament of Satan. Satan would kill God if he could, but he can't. So he kills babies because he knows it wounds the heart of the Father and hurts the church. Those babies go to heaven, but God's plan for those children's lives has been foiled and spoiled by Satan. What do I mean when I say abortion is the sacrament of Satan? I need you to open your spiritual eyes to this battle because this is not just one issue among many for the left. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that the left cares more about abortion than any other political priority? What was every headline from the activist media when a Supreme Court seat opened up during the Trump administration? Every time, huh? Roe versus, it wasn't about transgender bathroom laws, it wasn't about drug laws, it wasn't about the border, it wasn't about guns. Every headline when a seat opened up on the Supreme Court from the activist media, was rending their garments, screaming for more blood, and saying, they're gonna take Roe versus Wade. If that doesn't tell you how much they care about abortion, I don't know what else to tell you. They're rioting, they're throwing Molotov cocktails into pro-life organizations' buildings, and they're spray painting on their doors, if abortions aren't safe, then neither are you. This is happening right now. Why, why do they care so much about abortion? Listen, if you're not a son or daughter of the king and your heart's not been regenerated, then you will be being preyed upon by demons. 
your heart will be susceptible to the lies of the enemy. Prince of demons, Lord of flies, when he lies, he speaks his native language. So what was the first lie, brothers and sisters? What was the first lie that led to every other lie? Genesis, the serpent, says to Eve, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then ye shall be as gods. That's a powerful lie. Because don't we all want to be like gods? Because what does it mean to be a god? We get to live forever. That's a powerful lie. We all want that. But what the left doesn't understand is that Christ has already defeated death. The eternal life and peace that they're seeking was already procured for them on Calvary. But they're seeking to obtain that which Christ has already obtained for them. The secular progressive movement, because eternity is written on the heart of man, and they live in God's world, and they have to abide by his rules, they want what we've been promised. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy to be defeated is death. So they're seeking to kill babies to defeat death rather than accepting Christ's sacrifice on the cross on their behalf. Abortion says, you must die so I can live. But Christ says, no, I must die so you can live. I predict and pull off my own resurrection. I rise again in glory and you will too if you repent and turn and let me fill you and use you powerfully. We're to be puppets that the Holy Spirit slips his hand in through to be used for his purposes in this world. Peter Kreft, the Catholic philosopher, put it better than I ever could. He said, abortion is the demonic parody of the Eucharist. That's why it uses the same holy words. This is my body. But with the opposite blasphemous meaning. We just partook of the body and blood of Christ. Christ says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of the king of kings. And the culture of death says, no, this is my body. And I'll kill whatever's inside of my body because the serpent told me in Genesis 3, I'm going to be as a god. And a god gets to decide who lives and who dies. We kill babies today through embryonic stem cell research, fetal organ harvesting to get their tissues, and recently prenatal gene editing, where you edit the genes of the baby to try to like, get rid of susceptibilities to certain di diseases and disorders. The baby dies in the process, but hey, if we can perfect it, we can apply it on ourselves one day and live just a little bit longer. The baby becomes a sacrifice for man's pursuit of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, abortion is the pagan replacement for man's pursuit of eternal life. The culture war was always a proxy war for the spiritual war. These are principalities. There are demons in the room of every abortion center in this city and in this country, brothers and sisters. So the next time a pastor that is not like your brave pastors here, the next time woke pastors tell you, we don't preach on politics. I say, no, you don't preach against false religion that masquerades as politics in order to keep the politically impotent pastors silent. This is the sacrament of secular progressivism. This is the sacrament of Satan, and it's Satan's pride and joy, for he has always been behind the killing of babies. Who's the dragon in Revelation waiting for Mary to give birth? Satan. Who's behind the killing of babies by Herod in Bethlehem and by Pharaoh in Egypt? Satan. And his hunger for blood will never be satiated. And he's happy to go by any name, by the way. Satan doesn't care what name you call him. He was happy to be called Moloch once, and today he's happy if the culture of death dubs him the name self, education, money, and career well-being. 
as long as you continue to shove children down his throat, he will say yes and amen, for he is the God of the religion of secular progressivism. We are not contending against an alternative politics, brothers and sisters. We're contending against an alternative religion that masquerades as politics because the left knows how many pastors fear being labeled political so they know that they'll capitulate and fold like a cheap suit and flinch at the one moment that they're needed the most as shepherds to protect the sheep. You think God doesn't care about children? You think God doesn't care about babies? You think God's not pro-life? Pure and undefiled religion is this. Care for orphans and widows in their distress. Why, why the orphan? Why is the orphan so close to the heart of God? Because the orphan's life is endangered because his parents are dead, right? How much more does God care about the unborn whose life is endangered because his parents want him dead? We know every day when and where innocent human beings are scheduled to die. Don't we have the addresses? There's three of them in Charlotte where the, that precious child I showed you is either poisoned through the abortion pill which, by the way, results in 50% of abortions today. So the abortion industry is planning on killing more babies and selling more abortions when Roe v. Wade is overturned. You just need to know this. I addressed this more in the last sermon, but listen, you don't have to show up for an in-person evaluation to get the abortion pill anymore. I'm not talking about birth control or the morning after pill, by the way, just to be clear on my terms. I'm talking about the abortion pill. You take it from when you know you're pregnant up to 10 weeks. It's called RU486. It cuts off the hormone progesterone, the baby starved to death, and the second pill taken 24 to 48 hours later forces your uterus to have contractions and Planned Parenthood tells you to sit on the toilet, don't look and flush. They're selling those all around the country and you don't have to show up for an in-person evaluation anymore as a pregnant woman to get those poisonous pills. So you go on a website and they send it from India through the postal service. How are we supposed to manage that? How are we supposed to prevent those pills from getting into the homes of American women where they kill their children? How? So the abortion industry is planning on selling more abortions and killing more babies because it's a cheap to manufacture pill, sell at high margins, and you don't have to hire an abortionist, you don't have to pay the lease on an abortion center, and you don't have to pay the third-party vendors to come with the hazardous waste containers to get rid of the mutilated aborted baby parts because the American sewage system becomes your abortion disposal system. So just so you know what we're facing in this Kairos moment, the answer has always been the church. It's time for us to rise up and take spiritual ground to protect the only class of neighbors that it is legal to kill in this country. Brothers and sisters, I believe that we have been under the judgment of God for some time. You know, people say, you know, when is America, America going to start experiencing judgment because of abortion? We've been under it for quite some time. Do you know when the last great revival started winding down? Billy Graham, right? When did it start winding down? When did it start phasing out? The early 70s. What happened in 1973? Roe versus Wade. In Psalm 106, God is talking to the Israelites because of their complicity in child sacrifice. You need to go read the end of Psalm 106. This is what God tells his people. And I quote, you have sacrificed your sons and daughters to demons. Remember the child sacrificed to Moloch with the Canaanites? You have sacrificed your sons and daughters to demons and the land, it's desecrated with blood. And so says God, I give you over to be ruled by those who hate you. Does it feel like we're being ruled by people who hate the bride of Christ in America today? Oh my gosh. I believe God has given us over to be ruled by those who hate us. I want revival in America. I want God to rent the sky and pour out his spirit on this country again. I just don't believe it's gonna happen as long as we continue to remain complicit, either through 
participating in abortion or through our apathy in the sacrament of abortion. Isaiah 1, the Israelites were having great worship services on the hill in Jerusalem. Oh, they had so much religious activity. But in the evenings, they were walking down a half mile away to the valley of Ben-Hinnom where they were cooking their children. But the Canaanites, and they would put a furnace under the outstretched arms of Moloch. And according to historical accounts, the Canaanites would beat these drums. So the parents of the infants wouldn't hear their children screaming. So their screams were drowned out. Brothers and sisters, we still don't hear them today. There's still silent screams in the womb as they're killed at the tune of a million a year in this country. And God tells the Israelites in Isaiah 1, he says, I'm tired of your songs. I'm tired of your religious activity. I'm tired of your festivals. I'm not listening to you anymore because your hands are full of blood. And then God tells the Israelites, so stop doing evil. Start doing good. Defend the orphan and the widow and the oppressed. Correct oppression and do good. If we want revival in America, if we want a new birth of freedom in this country, if we want to raise our children free in the liberty of Christ, which is the wise restraints that make men free, then we need to give God a reason to show this country mercy. Do you want him to bring revival in America? Do you want him to rent the sky and bring conviction of sin and Holy Spirit fire? Let's give him a reason to do it. Bring it, God. But we have to be the ones on the front lines. God could end abortion if he wanted to. He could have ended slavery. Why did he allow the Holocaust? Is he not powerful enough to end these injustices? Or does he wait for his people to rise up and be used by him as instruments in his toolkit? On Saturday, we are issuing an invitation to you to join Love Life outside of abortion centers. Not to scream or to yell or to hold signs that say, you're a murderer but to bring the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the help of the local church at the only places where we know that innocent human beings are scheduled to die. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The Levite and the priest were religious leaders. They were pastors. They were on their way to their synagogue to prep their message before Saturday service. And yet when they saw a bleeding victim, they walked by on the other side of the road. We have been walking by and driving by on the other side of the road. But you know what? I think we have more responsibility than the Levite and the priest. Do you want to know why? Did the Levite and the priest know that that dude was going to get beat up? Did the good Samaritan who loved that man know that that man was going to get beat up? No, they came upon him. It says, and when he saw the bleeding victim, he had compassion. What if the Good Samaritan had gotten a text saying, hey, at 5 p.m. tomorrow, a dude's going to get the bleep beat out of him on the side of the road. Well, I think he should have showed up and said, you will not touch this man. We know every day when and where innocent human beings are scheduled to die. We have the addresses. And the sewers of Charlotte run red with the blood of innocent children and their limbs are sold to the highest bidder in this country. 
and Kamala Harris as Attorney General in California covered up the investigation that exposed Planned Parenthood for selling dead baby body parts on the black market. We have been sowing bloodshed in the womb and now we're reaping it in the streets. We've been sowing apathy in the womb and now we're reaping it in the streets. This is the invitation, don't miss this. If God's called you to something else, praise God, hallelujah, couldn't agree more. God sends his soldiers to many different battlefronts. But this is the most significant issue in the country. This is our Holocaust. This is our civil rights issue. But we've become so accustomed to the culture of death that we've been silent. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. I want to finish with this statistic for you. In 1991, the year I was born, there were 2,100 freestanding abortion centers in America. Today, there are less than 600. You had four abortion centers in Charlotte a month ago. Now you have three. One just shut down. What happens when the church shows up outside of the darkest places with the light of Christ? He's going to use you. Did you know that when Christians are outside of abortion centers every day praying and offering to sacrifice and help families who want to kill their children, upwards of 75% of abortion appointments don't show up? We know this from former abortion workers who leave the industry and become Christians, and then they tell the pro-life activists that they're friends with now. They say, hey, I just want to tell you now that I'm a Christian, back when I was helping kill babies, you pesky Christians with your praying and your sidewalk counseling, ah, like 80% of our abortion appointments would get canceled. Really hurt our bottom line. Oh, you mean when the church shows up, Satan sits down? Oh, I couldn't have guessed it. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who entered human history in a uterus, declaring that life is intrinsically valuable at all stages. Join us on Saturday to go outside of the dark places and be used and watch what God does through you. Through the church, the most powerful organism in the world for change because we live through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's prove Francis Schaeffer wrong when he said that every abortion center ought to have a sign out front that says open with the permission of the church of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I will see you on the battlefield. Now go out there and give them heaven. Thank you guys for tuning into the show today. Uh, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Subscribe, give us a rating and review. It really helps us reach more people. Honestly, it's such a small thing and it causes more people to see the podcast and get exposed to pro-life ideas, equipping and training. is such an important point in this battle for life. If you want to learn more, head on over to sethgruber.com or follow me on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, or Twitter. We really appreciate it. And we'd ask you to share this sermon with some friends or family members. We'll be rolling out a church tour very soon here as well. And so um, we have a few openings available and maybe your pastor or someone you know would like to bring a message like this to your church. It's such an important moment in the fight for life with Roe v. Wade expected to fall and get overturned this month. Um, so thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. <laughs>